Good morning, everyone. Hard to believe that we've come to the end of this series on the beautiful Savior. In our small group, we've had such fantastic discussion, and I think we've all been encouraged, and so we thank God for that. Today, we're talking about Jesus the King. And uh, back in 2011, there was a group of us, I mean, there's a lot of us, I think about 30 people that went to Zambia, Janet. 30 of us, there was so many of us that we couldn't all go to one place, so some went to Kitway, others of us went to um, Changwe. But before we got there, we had a layover in London for, for about 12 hours, something like that. And so uh, between Janet and Gloria, if anybody doesn't know this, Gloria is a massive monarchist. So if ever there's a takeover in Canada, <laughs> Gloria is going to single-handedly take up her rifle and defend the Queen. <laughs> Actually, she doesn't have one. Jesse has it. But anyway... <laughs> Uh, we, were, we decided we we're going to go to Buckingham Palace and see the Queen and see her lovely property. Buckingham Palace had just opened up to start paying off some of their big bills. But uh, when we went in there, we, uh, I think all of us were quite stunned by the beauty of it. Um, it's designed in such a way as to impress and even intimidate the visitor uh, remember that Buckingham Palace was built and established at the height of the British Empire when they said the sun never set on the British Empire. In other words, uh, they owned, or didn't own, but they ruled uh, nations right around, the, right around the globe. And so you really saw the power, the opulence. Um, I, I did a quick research, and they say that, that the Queen's property, her palaces and artwork is conservatively estimated at 75 billion Canadian dollars. I mean, just, I mean that's, there's countries on this earth that don't have that kind of money, but this is just the queen's property. So you really get an idea of how, how great is the, man, the monarchy. One of the rooms we visited is called the throne room, and we discovered that, in fact, uh, and this is in the words of, of the, uh, the tour guide, it's all theater. Uh, it's called the throne room. She's maybe sat on that throne maybe one time. You can Google it, the Queen's throne room. You'll see a beautiful red throne uh, with a canopy over it. But it's absolutely meaningless. It's absolutely powerless. There's nothing to it. In fact, the Queen really doesn't have any power. She has uh, some influence in that sense, and she is the one that signs off on all the documents, but she's really just rubber stamping what the government wants to do. So we see uh, really uh, kind of a shell of what the monarchy used to be. And I don't know if, if there are any history lovers here, but that's one of the things I love. I love researching and looking back uh, to the days when the kings and the queens of England ruled, and I just it's just sort of like a hobby. But... The queen of today is absolutely powerless. The only power she has is, is any kind of influence that she can exert, and she's got a thousand servants that she can order around. So I guess she could still kind of be a queen bossing people around. But today what I want to do is I want to talk to you about the king of kings and the lord of lords. I want to talk to you about the king who has absolute and complete power. And I'm going to tell you that his power and his authority have absolutely no equal on this earth. Never before and never in the future will we ever see this kind of power and authority. But before we do, let's just quickly recap what we learned from John chapter 1 about who Jesus is. We discovered that Jesus Christ is God. He is our creator. 
the Bible says without, without Christ, nothing was made that has been made. We discovered that Jesus Christ, it was human. Uh, we always talk about Jesus who came to die for us, but the, we often fail to talk about the fact that Jesus came to live for us. He came to show us what it means to obey God, what it means to love God, and what it means to love one another. And we have his teachings, and we have his lifestyle. We have uh, his example that was set for us. We see Jesus is the Lamb of God. John says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. That's sort of the, the thing that we most focus in on as Christians. We talk often about, about Christ, the, the sacrifice Lamb. Uh, almost every church has a crucifix up, a picture of Jesus hanging on the cross. Um, so it's big. It's big in our theology. In fact, it's clear that without the cross, we have no hope. The cross of Jesus Christ makes it possible for us to have eternal life. But again, it's important to know and to understand and to see everything there is to know about Jesus. Now, sadly, in the course of five weeks, I can't tell you everything there is to know about Jesus. That's why you have got a Bible and you have to read it. Amen? Amen. Yeah. Last week, we talked about Jesus who baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. So at the moment that you become a Christian, you receive his Holy Spirit. And the book of Ephesians tells us that 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 is the guarantee. That's the seal. So that when you stand before God someday, when you you die, uh, because you have the Holy Spirit, you have the promise of an eternity with Christ. And so what we want to do today is we want to talk about Jesus Christ, our King. And I want you to know today that his power is real. It's not ceremonial. I want you to know that his power uh, and his kingship is not mere theater. It's, it's the real thing. I want you to know that Jesus reigns in my heart and that someday he's coming to reign on the earth. And everybody said, hallelujah. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about Jesus the king. Let's talk about the story of his kingdom. By the way, um, I was supposed to show you that, but I got so tied, I was so caught up in the the mental image of it. There's Buckingham Palace, in case you don't know it, and that, that building alone is worth $2 billion. But how many know that in God's economy, that's peanuts, that's nothing? Amen? So Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say I am? And now you all know what to say. If somebody says to you, who do you say Jesus is? And you say, Jesus is the creator. Jesus is 100% God. He, is, uh, he was human. You can say he was the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the earth. Jesus is the baptizer in the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is the king. Amen? Amen. Now you can say that because you've been studying that for five weeks. So let's move on here. I, I need to help you understand uh, who and what Messiah means, what Christ means, what King means. It all means the same thing. It's the anointed one. Messiah is from the Hebrew, which means the anointed one. Uh, Christ is Greek and means the same thing. So we call him Christ the King, uh, the anointed one. We call, we, and, and then, of course, King means anointed one. Now, where do we get that, the, the idea of being anointed? Well, here's what you need to see. The very first king of Israel was anointed by Samuel to be the king of Israel. That was the first king. And by the way, uh, God's plan or God's God's ideal for Israel was that he would be their king and that he would have prophets and judges who would rule over his people, but ultimately they would recognize that God was their king. And so the people of Israel said, no, we want a real live king, just like all the other nations have. And so Samuel said, okay, God, who do you want it to be? God said it's going to be Saul, 
And so what does he do? He anoints them with oil, which is the sign or the evidence of the Holy Spirit resting upon the first king of Israel. And then we read about David, who is anointed with oil to be king. He's an, remember, he's anointed way before he ever becomes king. He's anointed as a boy, and it takes some time before he actually realizes what it is that God wants him to do. He wants him to be king. And do you know that even today, when Queen Elizabeth, for instance, was, uh, was, went, had her coronation, uh, was crowned the Queen of England, she was anointed with oil, and they still do that to this day. So we understand that uh, Messiah, Christ, King, it all means the same thing. It's the anointed one of God. It's the king. Now, here's what you and I need to understand. From the very beginning, and we, 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 we see really the first signs of God's intention for Israel to have a Messiah and for us to have a Messiah. We see it all the way back to Genesis. In fact, Genesis chapter 49. And uh, what we find here is, is Jacob has come to the end of his life, and he is now prophesying over his sons. And then he gets to Judah, and here's what he says. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until uh, he to whom it belongs shall come, and the obedience of the nations shall be his. Now, a lot of people don't even know that. They don't understand that right from the beginning, it was God's plan that Israel have an anointed ruler, and not just Israel, but the whole world. Look at that. The obedience of the nations shall be his. And of course, we recognize that, that and I'm sure that Jacob didn't even fully understand all this, or maybe he did, but we, there's no indication of it, that he's talking about Jesus, who is of the tribe of Judah. In fact, sometimes we call him the Lion of Judah. Well, we see this theme uh, throughout Scripture. In fact, if you want, you can Google uh, Jews for Jesus, and they've got 40 uh, significant passages uh, that, that show us the Messiah in the Old Testament. But uh, those are just the obvious ones. We, we, we calculate there's over 400 passages in the Old Testament that talk about Christ the Messiah. We get to Isaiah 11.10, and again, we see it even more clearly Isaiah prophesies hundreds of years before Christ is born. In that day, the heir to David's throne will be a banner of salvation to the world. The nations will rally to him, and the land where he lives will be a glorious place. So Israel is expecting a Messiah. Um, and they believe that he's going to be a world ruler. The, the Israelites were surrounded by nations, by great and mighty nations. In fact, they went into exile into some of these great nations. And so, you know, they, they saw the, the Babylonian Empire, they saw the Persian Empire, um, they saw the Roman Empire. Remember, Israel was occupied at the time of Christ by Rome. And so in their minds, their Messiah was going to rise up and be even greater than the Babylonian Empire, greater than the Persian Empire, greater than the Roman Empire. It was going to be the great kingdom of the world, led by their king. Now, other people don't know that. And, and here's the thing with Israel and the Jewish people. This is what they believed. This is what they understood. So along comes Jesus, and he doesn't have any political power. And so the, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, they're looking at Jesus, and he's doing all these wonderful miracles. But, you know, in their mind, at best, he's a prophet. At worst, he is a, a scammer. 
but absolutely he's not their king. There's no way, uh, as they said, what, what good can come out of Nazareth? Because that's where he, he grew up. In their minds, there's no way Jesus could be the king. And so they rejected him out of hand. In fact, they felt that the best thing to do with Jesus was to kill him off, not knowing that that was, in fact, part of God's eternal plan. Jesus, as you know, dies for our sins. They don't understand that they're killing their king. Now, the interesting thing is this, and there's so many signs, so many interesting things in Scripture about the fact that Jesus is the king. What do we find on the cross of Jesus Christ? Jesus Christ, king of the Jews. Now, the Pharisees protest against, that's blasphemous, that's wrong. And Pilate says, I've written it, and it's staying. I don't care what you think. Hmm, very interesting. Pilate understood there's something going on there, something very powerful about this Jesus. Jesus Christ, king of the Jews. At the beginning of his ministry, John tells us, John chapter 1, that when Andrew meets up with Jesus, he recognizes that Jesus is not just a prophet, not just a teacher, not not even in the same category as John the Baptist. In fact, John the Baptist declares that he's not in the same category as Christ. Look what it says here. John reports, Andrew went to find his brother Simon Peter and told them, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. We have found him. Right there in John chapter 1, those first disciples, they look at Jesus, they hear what Jesus is preaching, and they recognize and believe with all their heart, this really is the Messiah. But it's not just Andrew who says this. When we get to uh, verse 49, just a few verses later, Nathanael also declares, he exclaims, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, the King of Israel. And of course, you know, in the other Gospels, Peter himself declares that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, what's going on here, folks? Remember last week, we talked about the Holy Spirit coming upon us? And we talked about what the Holy Spirit does. The Bible says, or Jesus himself declares, that the Holy Spirit is a guide. He's a teacher. He instructs us. He's the paraclete, the alongside one. He goes with us, opening our minds to understand. Now, can I just say something here right now? Uh, we, ha- we had some visitors last week in the first service and uh, never been to church before, actually from China, and they said, uh, uh, thank you for the wonderful lecture. And so I, I, I didn't correct him because in his mind, it's a lecture. I'm standing up here, I'm speaking, that's what all the lectures are. Here's what you need to know right now. is that when you and I have got the Holy Spirit involved in our hearts and minds, what happens, folks, is that you're not just getting information. What's happening is the Holy Spirit is at work in your heart and mind, opening your mind to receive truth. Because a natural mind cannot receive truth. Jesus tells us that. Did you know that? For some people, they sit here and think, oh, I've got to go to church, I've got to listen to him talk again. If you're sitting here and you're not open to what God wants to do in your life, then yes, it is just a lecture. And hopefully, pastor will throw in a few jokes to make us laugh, hopefully. And if the pastor gets in lots of jokes, what was a good sermon? Amen? Don't you dare say amen. (laughs) What we want, folks, is we want truth. We want Holy Spirit revelation. We want the Holy Spirit to open our hearts and our minds to receive from God 
what he wants us to know. And that's why we come to church on Sunday, to receive revelation. And folks, it's not Alan Duncalf that imparts that revelation. It's the Holy Spirit who takes this donkey's words and gives them to you. Don't you dare say mess. <laughs> I always say, if God could use Balaam's donkey, then God could use me. The fact of the matter is, folks is that you and I need to understand that the whole Christian faith, everything that we teach and preach and believe, is absolute nonsense to people who don't know Jesus and don't know the power of the Spirit working in their life. But when the Spirit of God is involved, suddenly your mind is open, and suddenly you begin to understand it and you see it. I have been studying the Scripture for years, and I've been walking with God for years. I'm going to tell you, folks, I feel like I'm just scratching the surface of the revelation that is mine. I can't believe, I've read this Bible through so many times, and every time I read it, it's like I'm reading it for the first time. What's going on? The Holy Spirit's opening my mind and revealing to me God's will, revealing to me truth. I could do everything in my power to try to convince you and convince you and and give you you great uh, arguments in favor of Christianity. But if the Holy Spirit's not at work, I'm wasting my time. Because as I'm speaking to you, trying to convince you, you're thinking in your mind all the reasons why it's not true. So we got a stalemate going on. I've literally drawn a sign in the, a sign, a line in the sand. You're on this side, I'm on that side. And I'm going to try to convince you that you're wrong and you're going to convince me that I'm wrong. That kind of evangelism doesn't work. What we need, folks, is we need the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to open our minds to understand the truth and to receive it. I can't make you receive truth, but I know somebody who can. His name is Jesus through the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And this morning, what I want is I want a praying. I prayed before the service. I prayed all day yesterday. God, do something special in the hearts of everybody here today. We pray, God, that like Nathaniel and like Andrew, your spirit would help us to see that Jesus is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. I can't convince you of that, but the Holy Spirit can open your mind to help you understand that. Now, Israel and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law and the disciples They didn't understand who Jesus was. They did not understand what Jesus had come to do. So let me tell you what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to set up his kingdom in two phases. I had somebody talk to me uh, just a few months ago saying, well, the kingdom of God has not come yet. That's why we pray, thy kingdom come. I said, hold on a minute here. (laughs) You're not fully understanding this. You're not rightly dividing the word. How many have heard that expression? We need to rightly divide that word. We need to rightly understand it. Jesus came to establish his kingdom in two phases. And the disciples didn't get it. The teachers of the law didn't get it. The Pharisees didn't get it. Here's what you need to know. Governments and kings and prime ministers and queens cannot solve the problems of this world. How many know that? We've seen great and mighty empires throughout history. What the world doesn't need is another great and mighty empire. What do we need? We need Jesus to come and change people's hearts. And so the very first thing that Jesus does is he comes announcing the coming of his kingdom. But it's a kingdom that first begins in the hearts of people. And when you and I gave our hearts to Jesus, we said, Lord Jesus, come into my life and change my heart. God, I'm willing 
willingly coming to you to surrender my life to you and say, King Jesus, I'm showing up for duty. What do you want me to do? How many like that idea? It's not always easy. Sometimes it's just downright difficult. You see, because humans, humans don't have a government problem. We have a heart problem. And that's, that heart problem is something only King Jesus can solve. Now, it's something that nobody understood. They didn't get it. It wasn't until after Jesus arose from the dead and went back to the Father, ascended to the Father. It wasn't until the Holy Spirit came at the day of Pentecost. When, remember the picture I showed you last week of the fire over everybody's head? Whereas before, the fire of God's presence only dwelt in the temple, only, built in the, only dwelt in the tabernacle. Now it dwells within every believer. It's a beautiful picture. You can read about it in Acts chapter 2. Now we understand is that when you and I give our hearts to Christ and and bend our knee to King Jesus, the Spirit of God comes to dwell within us, empowering us to follow Christ Jesus. So here's what I want you to know today. Every single man, woman, and child who says, Jesus is my Lord, Jesus is my King, well, then you're going to submit to him and do his will every time. This is why we teach the third habit. The habit of holiness. It's doing the will of God moment by moment. Every decision you make, it's a decision to honor God. By the way, that is what holiness is. When I grew up, I, I grew up believing that holiness meant I don't smoke, I don't dance, I don't drink, but I can do anything else I want. <laughs> Hold on a minute, folks. You need to know what holiness is. Holiness means I'm going to do God's will every time. Why? Because if I love Jesus, Jesus says, you will obey my commands. And why would we obey his commands? Because, and here we go, because he is our king. I don't do what I want to do. I do what Jesus wants me to do. Now repeat after me. I do what Jesus wants me to do. Say it with me. I do what Jesus wants me to do because he is my king. Very good. Excellent. I do what Jesus wants me to do because he is my king. Now, the reason, look at, watch this. The reason that I have embraced Jesus as my king is because I have first embraced him as my lamb. Did you get that? Because he died on the cross for my sin, because he washed away my sin, because he saved me, because he removed from my heart the guilt and the shame that I carried as a young boy. I'll never forget that day. When I said, Jesus, I want you to be my king. So if Jesus is your king, tell the person beside you, Jesus is my king. What did they say? <laughs> He's my king too. Now what does it mean to submit to Jesus the king? Let me just quickly uh, show you. It's very simple. It's not, it's not rocket science. I, I'm going I'm to state it simply, but I, I mean, it, is, it, is, it can be difficult. But in terms of what we need to do, well, that's the simple part. First of all, we need to pray. Actually, I'm going to give you the two words. Pray, obey. Say it with me. Pray, obey. Pray, obey. Beautiful. We got it. Okay, so let's talk about this for a moment. Um, what we're doing is we are asking God for help. So some of us, how many know the Lord's Prayer? There's a phrase in there. So many of us, when we recite the Lord's Prayer, we just, our Father, return in heaven, help me be long, give them, Amen. I, I'm going to ask you to slow it down big time. 
Jesus tells us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What am I doing when I'm praying this prayer? I'm praying and asking Jesus to rule in my heart. God, let your kingdom come to my heart. Let it rule. Let your rulership be, uh, be, be mine. Help me, God, to embrace it. Now, do, do you do that every day? Do you say, because a lot of people, they don't really know what that means. When they say, thy kingdom come, they think, well, maybe his kingdom's coming from heaven. So I don't know what I hope. I'll say it anyway, because the pastor said, Jesus said, just pray that, so I'll pray. I don't know what it means. Well, I'm telling you now, what you're doing is you're inviting the reign of Christ in your life. And when I pray that prayer, I pray it for my, for my uh, son, my daughter, my wife, my son who's in Alberta. I pray it for my staff. I pray it for my congregation, for, my, for the members here. I'm praying that God's reign would come to Burundi powerfully, mightily. Because wherever Jesus reigns, there's peace. Wherever Jesus reigns, there's love. Wherever Jesus reigns, there's joy. So I'm praying for that every day. And not only do I pray that Jesus would reign, but I'm also praying that his will would be done, that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I've heard people say, you know, I tried that Christianity stuff. It doesn't work. They'll say, I've been asking God for things, and man, he doesn't do anything I ask him to do. He doesn't do anything I tell him to do. God never answers my prayer. Well, have you ever heard of fake news? This is fake Christianity. I go to God, I tell him what to do. God do this and God do that. And God, I'm sure you don't know what you're doing up there, God, so I'm going to tell you how to do it. And by the way, God, while you're at it, I wouldn't mind a new car. And I wouldn't mind a raise. And while you're at it, God... My jeans are a little bit shabby, wouldn't mind a new, new pair of jeans, and, and you start firing off your requests and your demands. You say, well, pastor, doesn't Jesus tell us to ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened unto you? Folks, listen to me. This is what happens when you don't know the Bible, when you don't know the scripture, when you don't know who it is that you're serving. As you are asking, seeking, and knocking, you need to understand that you are asking, seeking, and knocking as a royal subject. You're going to the king of kings. And what you're asking is that his will be done, not yours. So when you go to the king, you're saying, God, uh, what do you want from me? What do you want me to do? You see the difference? There's a, there's a Christianity that says, God, I want you to do this, this, and this, and that, and do the that's fake Christianity. It's not real. In fact, TV evangelists love teaching you that stuff because it brings in big bucks. What people want to hear. The kind of Christianity I'm teaching here is you have to surrender to Jesus and ask him what he wants you to do. Now, you would think, wouldn't you, that, that the kind of Christianity where I get whatever I want would be the best, right? But I'm going to tell you, folks, getting whatever you want doesn't make you happy. But what brings great happiness, great joy is when Jesus invites you to partner with him in fulfilling the will of God on earth. Amen? When you get to partner with God in sharing the good news about Jesus Christ, there's nothing like it in the world. So you need to pray every day. God, let your kingdom come. Come and reign in me. Help me, God, to submit to you. Help me, God, to do your will. Help me, God, not to do my will. Help me, God, to embrace you with my whole heart. Every day you got to pray that. Because I can guarantee if you don't, then you're going to push Jesus off the throne of your heart. Out of the way, I'm in charge around here. 
that's when you get into trouble. How many say amen to that? You know what I'm talking about. Every time you take charge, that's when all, all hell breaks loose. So first of all, you need to pray. The second thing is? Oh. Look at this. John reminds us, 2 John 1, 6. Love means what? Doing what God has commanded us, and he has commanded us to love one another just as you heard from the beginning. What is John saying here? John is saying very simply this. If you love Christ the King, you will love one another. Did you get that? I, want, well, I hear people say, I've got a great relationship with God. I love God with all my heart. I, can't, I hate my mother-in-law. I can't stand my brother. I'm never talking to my sister ever again. But I love Jesus. No, you don't. No, you don't. The proof that you love God is that you love everybody in your life. I wish I didn't come to church today. (laughs) Yeah, the proof that you love God is that you love the people God has put in your life. Oh, but pastor, you don't know my husband. Oh, pastor, you don't know my kids. You don't don't know my boss. You don't know the lady that works beside me out where you... Hey, you know what? Jesus knows them all by name, and he loves them. In fact, he came and he died for them. And you may be the only one in their life that can actually share with them the love of God. Jesus says, if you love me, you will obey my commands. John reminds us, love means doing what God has commanded us. Oh, man, we love getting our heads full of information and knowledge. Oh, just want to cram it in there. And the more information I have, the better, right? The Pharisees, man, they were so brilliant. The the teachers of the law, man, they knew that. They could could recite books of the Old Testament off by heart. And yet Jesus said, ah, they're nothing but a a brutus of, of snakes. What you and I need to understand is that Jesus is our king, and he's called us to do whatever God has commanded us to do. And God's given us one simple command. Love one another. Good luck. (laughs) Love one another. That's it. In fact, if you look at the Old Testament, you'll find over 600 laws there, but all of them can be summed up in one word, love. Love God, love one another. And that could even be distilled further If you love God, then you're going to love other people. The proof that you love God is that you love all the people in your life. Wow. This is tough stuff, Pastor. I don't know if I can do this. No, you can't do it. That's why God gave you his Holy Spirit. Before you can ever submit to Christ the King, you need the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, enabling you to love those who are really, really hard to love. Does anybody have anybody in their life that's hard to love? Just lift your hand up high. But don't point at anybody. (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. That father, that mother, that brother, the man, they're just so hard to love. And yet God says, if you love me, you're going to love them. And if you can't do that, then you really don't get the Christian faith. And there are no exceptions. Do you know that Jesus Christ doesn't ask us to do what he didn't do. Remember the second week we talked about Christ the human? When Jesus the human died on the cross, he showed us what real love is. 
And even as he's hanging on the cross, and they have whipped him, they've beat him, they have ridiculed and mocked him, he's hanging on that cross. Like every single crucifix ever made always has Jesus hanging on a cross with a loincloth. That's not how, how it happened. He hung there naked, humiliated, beaten, stabbed. And as he's, as he's hanging there in his last moments, he looks down at these hateful people, yelling, screaming, and mocking him. And what does he do? He says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Until you have gone through that, I'm going to tell you there's nobody in your life that you can't love. There's no one in your life you can't forgive. And the Bible declares that that's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Pastor, I can't live like this. Again, you're right, you can't. But Jesus living in you by his spirit can. Because Jesus did it from the cross. And now he dwells within you richly. And you have the power of the Holy Spirit to live this life. And this is what it means to worship Christ the King. This is what it means to do his will on earth as it is in heaven. I told you phase one was that Jesus was coming to dwell within our hearts. That's phase one. But there's another phase coming. And every Christian, man, woman, and child is looking forward to that day when Jesus returns for a second time or comes a second time. And when he comes, he will set up his earthly kingdom. Folks, look at this. I tried to find a picture that didn't really show you the you know, sort of facial features of Jesus. I just want you to get the picture of Jesus Christ coming. I'm going to close with reading a passage of Scripture from Revelation 19. And let the Spirit of God, every time I read this, I get chills run up and down my spine. But I want you to hear this. John is, is, has come to the end of his revelation. There's only a few chapters left. And he says, Then I saw heaven open. And a white horse was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True. For he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. And he wore a robe dipped in blood, and his title was The Word of God. How many remember the Word of God in the beginning of John chapter 1? Wow, that sends chills down my spine. The armies of heaven, dressed in the finest of pure white linen, followed him on white horses. And from his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty, like juice flowing from a wine press. And on his robe, at his thigh, was written this title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, shouting to the vultures flying high in the sky, Come, gather together for the great banquet God has prepared. Come and eat the flesh of kings, generals, and strong warriors, of horses and their riders, and of all the humanity, both free and slave, small and great. Then I saw the beast and the kings of the world and their armies gathered together to fight against the one sitting on the horse and his army. And the beast was captured. Who is the beast? The Antichrist. He was captured, and with him the false prophet who did mighty miracles on behalf of the beast. 
Miracles that deceived all who had accepted the mark of the beast and who worshiped his statue. Remember we talked about that, the third temple that's coming up? That they're preparing to build it now. And what's going to happen is when that Antichrist is installed, he's going to install a statue of himself. Both the beast and his false prophet were thrown alive into the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The entire army was killed by the sharp sword that came from the mouth of the one riding the white horse. And the vultures all gorged themselves on the dead bodies. That's phase two. Are you ready for phase two? If you've gone through phase one and you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you worship him as your king and if you obey his commands and do what he tells you to do, then you're ready for phase two. There's nothing to be afraid of, nothing to be fearful of, nothing but rejoicing and gladness. Are you ready to see the king? Hallelujah. Would you stand with me, please? Paul quotes Isaiah, where God says, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me, every tongue will confess and give praise to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. Jesus came as a a helpless, meek little child in a manger, absolutely powerless. He came to express mercy, love, and compassion on a broken and hurting world. But he's coming again. And this time he comes in power. And he establishes kingdom, not in people's hearts now, because that's already done. It's over. That's over. Now he sets up his millennial kingdom. This is the ancient faith handed down to us 2,000 years ago. And we preach it today, believing with all our heart that King Jesus is coming again. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, we pray today that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, we pray that your kingdom would be established firmly in our hearts and that we would find ourselves submitting to you. God, we know we need to pray this every day because we know what we're like as humans. We know, God, how we fail. We know, Lord, that our hearts are prone to wander away. And so every day we need to come back to you and we need to say, God, fill us afresh with your spirit. Let your kingdom come to our hearts. Reign, God, in my life. Reign in Gloria's life. Reign in Jesse, Nicholas, and Sarah. Reign, O God, over our staff, over our elders, over Cross Church, Lord, and Cross Church Burundi, and the church, the universal church around this world. God, we pray that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so, Father, we pray that if there's anyone here today who's not yet put their faith in Christ the King, that today would be the day they would come on bended knee and say, Lord Jesus, become my king. I want to accept you as my savior. And we pray that in Christ's name. And everyone said it with me? Tell the person beside you, go in obedience to the king.